I'm your host, <laughs> uh, Keith Roberson, and you are listening to I Pray This Helps. I bring you salutations from the land of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, I'm here currently celebrating the life and memory of my grandmother, Elmira Roberson. Um, yesterday, we had a great, great funeral um, um, celebration of life, as we call it. Um, yeah, we... we as a family, we are saddened by her passing, um, you know, to say the least. But to say more, we are very, very happy and excited for her to be in glory with our father. And um, I don't say that as a cliche. I don't say that as um, as anything to, like, just say that so that we can get through it. I am really overjoyed and happy for her in this season of her now everlasting life. And um, so it, it just encourages me and it spurs me on to continue on in in what I'm doing and what we're doing with I Pray This Helps. Um, I was speaking to someone the other day, um, yesterday actually, they were telling me um, how much they enjoyed the podcast and how much I should keep going on with it and all of that. And I told them, I said that, my honest prayer for this podcast is simply about faith. My prayer for this podcast is to um, is to um, encourage faith and stre- uh, strengthen faith, renew faith, and promote faith. You know, so strengthen faith for people who already believe. Renew faith for people that are like on the outs and are thinking maybe I don't need to believe anymore. Maybe I shouldn't believe. Maybe all of this is a hoax. And to promote belief in people that would like to believe and don't know where to start and don't know if they should believe if this is a good belief. Um, And to, you know, just to instill belief in, in just skeptics as a whole. And so um, I pray that it does that, and I pray that it is doing that. Um, I pray that it's doing all three, not one more than the other. I pray that it is doing all three, and I know that the Lord is faithful and just to do just those things with his word. When we are rightfully dividing the word of truth, it will come to pass. Um, His word says that, um, and we'll read it, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so um, we'll read it. That that happens in John as well. So um, as you know, if you if you are listening to this episode and you haven't listened to the previous episode, I encourage you. And in fact, I implore you to go back to episode 11 and so you can get caught up in what we're doing and how we're moving in the ways that we're moving. So we're uh, we are on chapter two of John. Um Let's talk about real quick. Let's do a quick review of chapter one of what we learned last episode in uh, chapter one. Um, Jesus is God. This is the overarching. <laughs> this is the overarching message of John. Like, yes, he's a teacher. Yes, he he's more. He's moralistic. He has great morals. Amazing. God is morals. Um, um, he's moralistic. Yes, he's a great teacher. Yes, he's a prophet. Um, yes, he saves your soul, um, which is super important, the most important thing of all. But how can he save your soul? How can he forgive sins unless he is God? So this is what John is talking about. He's coming against different heresies that were around at that time and are around this day where it's like, no, Jesus was just a man or no, Jesus wasn't actually a man at all. He was actually a spirit. And it's like, he was a spirit, like portraying himself as a man, but he wasn't really a man. Like, no, 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 no. It's, it's what we call the hypostatic union, the, the perfect unity between Jesus being 100% man and 100% God, okay? So um, that's what John is breaking down to us. And he does that through telling us stories or events that happened in their earthly ministry, well, his earthly ministry, um, 
in the time when John and the other 11 disciples were following him. Um, so we also meet in chapter one. Chapter one was an introduction, if you don't know. Chapter one itself is an introduction. Um, in chapter one, we also meet John the Baptist, who was saying, look, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. You know, so the Pharisees and, you know, they sent out people to speak to John and talk to John and say, look, are you are you the Messiah? Let us know if you're the Messiah. So, you know, they were really sneaky about it, okay? So sometimes they would act as though they were on your side, but they were really trying to figure out what you were about so that they couldn't persecute you if they felt necessary. Um, John himself was saying, look, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elisha, even though he had the, the spirit of Elisha, and I don't even know if he knew that, but that's neither here nor there. Jesus said it. He was like, if you can, if you can receive it, um, John was Elijah, is what we find out in later chapters. But um, John is, um, he was just basically saying, look, I came to prepare the way of the Lord. I came to prepare the way of the Lord. He knew what his mission was. And going back to chapter one, I think John is a real great point person to look at in our lives when it comes to Jesus and it comes to his coming and it comes to his return, we need to be preparing the way of the Lord. So John is pivotal. John is pivotal. Um, so John was baptizing. John was doing things and saying, look, look, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Messiah coming. The person that I was telling y'all about, look, he's finally here. And so, um, so, Thank you, John the Baptist, for doing your due diligence and trailblazing the way of the Lord. Um, so, John, also, I forgot to mention this. I'm not sure. I don't want you guys to be confused. I always want to do housekeeping, and I always want to be, I always want to go over these chapters with a fine tooth comb. I always want to make sure that things are clear. So, whenever someone um, tells me, like, hey, man, you really did. I'm not going out seeking like, hey, did you listen to the episode? Did you listen to the episode? But if you ever give a compliment or have and have a question about the episode, I always want to find out. Was there anything that you felt like I could have explained better so that we can get a full understanding of what it is that we're actually trying to understand? This isn't for lofty speech. This isn't because we just want to be intellectuals and we want to be head over heels above everybody else and and be um, spiritually mature in that sense. It is for the purpose of understanding and to be able to share it with someone else. Um, it's the it's like um the great um, Albert Einstein said. He said, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't understand it well enough. And so we want to be able to understand this stuff well enough so that we can give a defense for our faith and so that we can, again, rightfully divide the word of truth. I can't say that enough. Um, the gospel is so simple that a baby can understand it, like a toddler can understand it. That's The gospel is that simple, that a young child should be able to understand it and to receive it. I myself received Jesus as my Lord and Savior at the age of four because the gospel was just so simple to me. You know, this is stuff that's that's great to know. This is stuff that's good to know so that we can lean on him more and more and more and more in our walk with him. It's not good to know. Excuse me. It's paramount to know. Um, as we grow in relationship with our Lord and Savior, we should be getting to know him more and more and more um, so that others can know him more and more. Um, we'll get into that. We'll get into community later. I promise within this book we will. Um also, I, I spoke a little bit on the idea of original sin. I didn't actually say original sin, but I was talking about Adam and Eve and what happened in the Garden of Eden and where they both, they both disobeyed God. Um, Adam got the brunt of it because, look, you're supposed to be the leader. I put you in charge. I told you first, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you let this slip. You know what I mean? And you're the one that carries the seed. And so because we are descendants of Adam, um, we also carry on this gene 
that, and dare I say, Gene, um, that lives inside of us, which is sin. The Bible tells us that we are born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and it was all due to what was done um, in the beginning. Um, and I guess, I guess, real quick, I don't want to spend a, a lot of time on this, but I guess you would say, like, well, why, well, why, if if Adam did it and if Eve did it, then why are we being punished for that? It was like, well, number one, it's it's under the idea that. Um, that we would have made the same decision. And as opposed to God starting, well, he did start over with um, Noah and all of that, but not completely over like, let me kill everybody and like, let me make new men. God is so, so rooted in love because he is love. Excuse me. He is love. He's so rooted in that thing that we call love that I need to be able to give you a decision to disobey me, otherwise it's not love. I need to give you that decision to to disobey. You know what I mean? Like you have a choice. If if I say that I love someone, if I if I say, and that's why that's the not to get into this whole R. Kelly thing, but that's the whole thing with R. Kelly. It's like, well. He's saying that he he loves these women and these women love him. How can it be true love if he's holding them captive? They have no decisions. They have no choices that they can make. It can't be true love without free will. If without I, I don't have the decision. It's not tested. So God put that. He but if you see again, as I said in the first episode, he gave them all of these things to choose from and just said, but don't do this. And I think the same is true with Jesus Christ. He, he, he gave us he gave us him to choose from and to eat from and to pick from and say, look, eat of this, eat of this, eat of this. Choose him, choose him, choose him. But you have all of those other things that you could choose as well. But you shouldn't choose those things over him. But he's saying, look, choose him. And I promise you this will be more abundant than anything that you ever would would think that you would want. And some of us say yes, some of us say no. And but that choice and that decision is there. So that's that's original sin. It's like, yo, we we're we're born with it. We have and we look at sin as an action a lot of times. I think not I think, I know we look at sin as a, as an action quite often and we don't look at it as a condition sin is not just an action but it is it is our nature to sin we're prone to sin we're prone to stray we are sinful beings so we're born in the very thing that is abhorrent to god that is the very thing that god cannot look upon and has to punish but he's like look I, but I love John chapter 3, and I, I don't mind going there. I'm going to always go there before we even get there. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like, look, you were, you have this condition, but I'm going to send, I'm going to send my son to heal you from this affliction, from this condition that you have, because I love you so much. God is so just. It, there's justice and there's but it's all wrapped up in his love for us. I, I, there was a sign outside of my grandmother's um, church where we had the, um, the celebration yesterday. And it said, God loved the world so much that he gave us his son. Like That's the paraphrase of John 3.16. Like God loved us so much that he gave us his son. Like he, God had a son who was perfect, knew no sin, was amazing. And he was like, well, look, I love y'all so much that I'm going to sacrifice my son for y'all. How many of y'all would sacrifice your children and your offspring for the world? No, y'all wouldn't do it. But God loved us so much that he decided to do that for us. And if you look at it, if you look at it as a triune God, from a triune God standpoint, God sacrificed himself 
So like I I went even a little bit deeper. I, I you might sacrifice yourself. See, see that's the thing about it. Like we oftentimes we would we would die for people, but we wouldn't set someone else up to die for for people. We wouldn't set up someone else that we love to die for someone. Let alone the whole world. Original sin. Um, we also learned that the word is Jesus. And so, and the word created the heavens and the earth and, and all things that, that be. And we also found out that the word, the word created everything and nothing was created that the word didn't create. So we learned that ultimately Jesus is the word. Ultimately, we learned this in chapter one. And then we find out, wow, Jesus created all of this stuff and then came down to be with all of the stuff that he created. And they were like, no. They knew him not. They received him not. They was like, no. Um, we also learned that Jesus or the word is the light. We also learned that in within the word is the essence of life, which is the, which is the essence of God is the is life. We learned we learned a lot. Chapter one. Um, um, other thing, uh, yes, Jesus created the heavens and earth. I'm reading my notes yet again. Um, so more on the book of John. Chapter one was of course the introduction. Chapter two, which is what we're getting into right now, we're we're only going to do the first half of chapter two. I want to take my time with this. I want to be precise with this. So it might take us the whole year to get out of John. I say, if you want to read ahead, by all means, read ahead. Who am I? Uh, I, by all means, study ahead. By all means, read other books in the Bible. By all means, you know, pray, do whatever, live out this life already with the information that you know. With the information that you know, you already know John 3.16. I just said it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall be leaving him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the Bible in short. That's the miniature Bible right there. You can live out this life already. You know, so any lie that you're believing, like, well, I can't live out, I can't live out the 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 Christian life yet because I don't know the whole Bible. Like that, that's a lie. I don't even know where you got that from. Do you know how many countries don't have the Bible? And do you know how many countries have maybe had like slithers of like maybe two pages of the Bible and they celebrate and they read over those two pages and every Sunday or every day that they get together where they're being persecuted because they're not supposed to have a Bible and they read off of that and they walk out that life and have faith in Jesus because of the two pages that they have. Are you kidding me? Just lies. Live this life now. Allow him to reveal himself to you now. Do not waste another day. Do it now. Okay, so um, chapter 2 through 10 will speak on the miraculous signs and controversies that led to his death on the cross. So we're getting into the first one today, the very first, the very first miracle that Jesus performed to begin his um, earthly ministry. Um, so let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for help as we delve into it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. We need you, Lord. We need you right now. I ask right now, Lord God, that uh, we would take our minds off of all of our worries, all of our concerns, and all the goings on of what is happening in our lives and in the world and other people's lives that we care about right now. And I ask that we lay them at your at the feet of your cross and at the feet at your feet lay them at your feet and uh, your word says uh, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you so we cast our cares on you now so that we may focus on you that's a, another reason why you want us to cast your cares on us because you care for us but like look you want us to focus on you and not on the problems not on on what we may deem as issues. Um, but Lord, you have us. 
So I pray right now, Lord God, that you would open up our eyes, open up our spiritual eyes, um, open up our eyes that want to look to the hills from which cometh our help and allow us to focus on you in this time. Open up our eyes to be able to see you for who you are. Um, give us the interpretation that we need. Give us the rhema word that we need in order to um, trust you more, in order to love you more, and able to know you more, and able to, um, to uh, communicate who you are even more. Um, remove Keith, move Keith out of the way. Um, and Lord, you just allow me to be a vessel as we share your word. Lord, allow us to have fun in this time. Um, reveal yourself to us. It is in your precious son Jesus' name we do pray and give thanks. Amen. That's what we need if we gon' properly teach. If we gon' seek, then we gon' properly reach. Yeah. yeah, that's what we need if we gon' carry our cross. If we gon' effectively disciple the Lord. It's so true. That's what we need if we gon' walk up in holiness. In boldness and meek and lowliness. That's what we need in this race we running. Proper lessons as we wait for his second coming. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the rain ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people had drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So for starters, you can already see that Jesus is at a party and he's at a party with with wine and he's at a party with wine with his disciples and his mother. So he's at the party. He didn't crash the party. He was invited to the party. Um, real quick tidbit. You have to invite Jesus. <laughs> um, and yes, if you invite him to the right place, he will definitely show up. He will be there, you know. Um, but he's a gentleman. He doesn't barge into anything. He doesn't just, you know, he just doesn't have his way in in your life. You have to say, look, I want you to have your way. You know, the Bible says that he stands at the door and he knocks so he doesn't barge in, you know. So um, it makes sure to note that he was invited to the party, him and his disciples. Um, so another thing to understand about John is the book of John is that um, they follow Jesus at the beginning. So this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Um, Jesus did. Like they followed Jesus for three years. Throughout these three years, Jesus performed many, 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 many miracles, many wonderful acts. We are confronted with the beginning of his ministry and the very end of his ministry. So, like it's the so as you see in verse one, it says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. So this is three days after he's picking up these disciples and telling people to walk with him. So we met we met the first three disciples 
um, in chapter one, like where he's like, all right, y'all were following John. Y'all were following John the Baptist. Now come on ahead and like, let's follow me right now. Or, you know, follow me forever. (laughs) And um, so on day three, they're already at a wedding. And so Jesus is just gathering his people. I like looking at it. Have you ever seen, um, I liken it to Mighty Ducks 2. So in Mighty Ducks 2, you just see, um, you see the lead, the captain, um, rollerblading and picking up teammates as he goes along he's like yo they were over here like one is a tax collector so he stops doing his taxes and he follows jesus a couple of these guys they following john and they stop following john and then they start following jesus another guy they a few of them are fishers and so they stop they stop they're fishermen excuse me and then they stop he's like look come follow me i'll teach you how to be fishers of men um so so they stop doing it so like they they drop their things that they're doing and then they start following Jesus. And so, yeah, I just, I look back at, um, mighty ducks too, like when they're rollerblading and they're rollerblading through the city and then they form, they form this dope team that they've got. And so we are only on day three. And so I'm reading for emphasis because you know how we do. We're going to break each verse down if, if need be. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Okay, so already still just in verse 1. <laughs> um, weddings in this time and in this culture were very, very important. Um, weddings at this time were up to, they, uh, weddings, could, wedding celebrations could last up to seven days. And so it was a community event. Um so, yeah, Jesus and his disciples, they happened to be in the area. They were invited to this event. Um, don't know who was getting married. We just know it was a guy and a girl that was getting married, and Jesus came to the wedding. Um, so weddings lasted up to a week, um, and these people, more than likely, they were not well-off people, and so weddings were probably the only parties that these people ever went to. Now, so Jesus being there, the whole community is there. Um, as you can see, his mom is like, look, this is a great opportunity for you to show everyone who you really are. So we'll get to that. Um, verse 2, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Okay, so wine in this particular time, wine at weddings, it was very, it it was very shameful to run out of wine at a wedding. Okay, not only was it shameful, it was illegal <laughs> to run out of wine at a wedding. So... Like, you could literally go to jail because you ran out of wine at your wedding. Weddings were supposed to bring joy. Wine was representative of bringing joy. So if the wine ran out, they would liken it to say, um, the joy ran out. There's no more joy because we have no more wine. So wine was representative of joy in this time. And even now, in a lot of people's households. Um, So it wasn't just like Mary was. I don't want you guys to get this impression that Mary was this drunk and everybody at this party was like, there's no more wine. We, we, even though they might have been like that, there's no more stuff. But Mary noticed that there was a need that needed to be met and she knew who to go to. She was like, look, he's handled. I know because. Jesus is at least 30 years old at this time. He lived in a household with Mary for quite some time. Um, She's like, I know who to go to for this. He can fix this. Jesus can fix this. And what do you expect Jesus to say? You don't expect him to say this. I'll tell you that. Verse 4. And Jesus said to her, woman, what what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. So now, you know, I remember reading this and, and listening to many sermons of this as a kid and thinking, wow, that was really me of Jesus to say 
to his mother. Like, woman, what does this have to do with us? Like, first of all, to call your, your mother woman, you know, like, wow, that's nuts. But in that time, in, in that culture, woman was not a disrespectful thing to say. So here's a message to all of you feminists who do not believe the Bible because you believe that it is not um, women sensitive, it is not female sensitive, and that it goes against your feministic beliefs. And it might definitely very much so go against your feministic beliefs. <laughs> but um, it does not oppose women. Um, when Jesus is saying woman in that time, it was a term of endearment. It was to acknowledge who she was, what her status was. It was a good thing to be a woman. And so when Jesus was saying woman, it was as if he was saying madam. It was as if he was saying ma'am. But although, keep that in, keep that in mind, this was his mother. It was very formal of him to call her woman. Um, so, so what does that tell us? It, it tells us that Jesus no longer looks at her as just his mother. He's looking at, at her as how he views everyone else in the world at this point. So this directly goes against the grain of the Catholicism belief that Mary is right along the lines with Jesus. And if you want to ask Jesus a question, if you want to ask something of Jesus and you want it done, then go to Mary. Like, Jesus held no favorites. He was like, I'm not a respecter of person. And I remember, um, if we'll read later on, in one of these Gospels at least, it, it reads, it reads, they were like, look, Jesus, like one of the disciples that came to him, and was like, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. Your mom, your brothers, and your sisters are here. And Jesus was like, look, only those who do the will of the Father do I call my brothers. And it was like, whoa. You know, so he's no longer looking at her as his mother in this sense. He's looking at her as the as what she called him. He is my savior. He's looking at her like, look, you need saving just like everybody else. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a, a thing of like, look, you're no longer my mother. But it's like. I am I, like you haven't forgotten and I know that you haven't forgotten. This is why you've come to me. I'm the savior of the whole world. So they, they, I'm not your son. I'm not under your um, like I don't have to do whatever it is that you tell me to do, even if it is about them not having anyone. It wasn't disrespectful. It was this it was this acknowledgement of independence, emancipation from just being this child or this baby in the manger that y'all like to place him as. Um, so, and Jesus said to her, verse 4 again, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, let's speculate right here. We're going to speculate and we're going to do a little bit of pontific pontification right here. Um, my hour has not yet come. Could it be that Jesus was referring to his hour on the cross where, you know, you know, they say, OK, you'll find in the Bible it says like, OK, the hour has come. He, he does say that at some point. My hour has come like where he's getting ready to be crucified and die on the cross for our sins. Um, so he's telling her right now, look, my hour is not coming or maybe Maybe he's saying, look, it's not time for me to do, it's not time for me to start my ministry yet. You want me to start my ministry, it's not time to do it just yet. It could be that that simple. It could be one of those two things. It could be extreme as the other thing, or it could be as simple as, as this thing is, you know what I mean? But the thing that we have to understand about the Bible and the thing that, moreover, the thing that we have to understand about God is that... Um, God is always doing a myriad, a plethora, a, a cornucopia even of things that we have no idea about. So in one thing, we may notice that he he's done one he's done three things in the one thing that he just did. But in all you might not even realize all the other things, and you probably won't, more than likely you won't know all of the things that he's done in the one thing that he just did. So even like down to something as 
materialistic as, Lord, why don't I have this job? Why did it take two months for, for me to get this job? You didn't know all the other things that he was putting into place in order for this to happen and what this job might mean down the road and who you would meet and like the timing. God is all about timing, but he's about his timing, not about your timing. And so, um, so that that's what he was saying. He was like, "Look, my hour has not yet not yet come. It's not time." And so Mary's response is is great, I believe, because she responds as such almost immediately. Verse five: His mother said to the servants, "Whatever he says to you, do it." Now, I think that's very telling, not just for not just for the servants in this story, but for us. As servants of the Most High God, Paul Paul says, I am a bond servant of the Most High God. I'm the bond servant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, whatever he tells us to do, do it. Okay? And so, like, it's it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask, but what's not okay is to tell God how to do it and how he should do it and how he should get it done. And if, you know what I mean, and it's not for us to pout when he doesn't do it the way that we want it done or he doesn't, like, and this whole thing of, like, God didn't answer my prayer. Like, God will answer your prayers. It just might not always be the answer that you want it to be. Um. So, you know, so I think that's that's. Just a just a tidbit to keep in mind that um, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. <laughs> but you need to keep it in a line with he is God, and he does what he wants, when he wants, however he wants, however he chooses it. And I think I think that's what was really meant when people first started saying don't question God. It's not that you can't ask God questions. It's not that you can't know you know, the, the intricacies of why God is doing something. Um, as you get to know him more, he does begin to reveal more and more things to you, but it comes with that closeness. It comes with that relationship, but questioning him in the sense of like, wow, you may not be all knowing. Wow. You may not be sovereign after all, because I think I know what's best. And that's not the case. We should answer how Mary answered. I think her answer was, was, was great because what she did, she showed the importance of asking, making her request known unto God, trusting, and then surrendering her will. So she's like, "All right, cool. Well, I'm just I'm, I asked. I look, look, they don't have any more wine." And Jesus was like, "What does that have to do with me?" And she was like, "All right." He was like, "My hour hasn't come." So he was like, "It's not time yet." So she was like, "All right, cool. Servants, do whatever he tells you to do." She was like, "Look." I know you're going to do something about this <laughs> because I know your nature. I know mm, I know you're going to do something. I know your nature. I know that you care for people more than anything. I know that you know what the wine means. I know that you know what it what it's supposed to do. I know that you know uh, the importance of this wedding and that it go off very well. I know that you care. So I know that you're not just going to sit by and let nothing happen. You might not do it the way that I want you to do it. You might not do it when I want you to do it, but I know that you're going to do it. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do, I'm just going to walk away and trust that you got it handled. Um, so I think great response for Mary, which I think gets overlooked a lot of times. Um, so moving on. Um, Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Verse 6, now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. They were like, well, look, we, John was like, I don't know how much, how many gallons. They were 20 or 30 gallons. <laughs> no, it, it, it held a lot of gallons. Jesus, verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. So understand this in verse 7 Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. Now, 
Okay, yeah. Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Why is it important that that it was notated that they filled it up to the brim? That it was noted that they filled it up to the brim. It was to show and to tell you that nothing was added. So if you ever saw the movie uh, uh, The Prince of Egypt, remember in The Prince of Egypt, they sprinkled some um, some stuff into the water to make the water red. They were like, look, you ain't the only one that can make water red, Moses. And so they sprinkled some water, sprinkled some stuff into the water, and it made it red. Like, look, there was nothing added. We didn't add anything. We filled it up with water. Also, it was a Jewish custom not to not to just have straight wine. It was always like one-fourth of something and then one-third of something. I don't know the the correct measurements, but they always put something in there other than wine. It wasn't just wine altogether. So this was to let you know that we didn't add anything to this. All we did, all the servants did was put water in there. All we did was put water in there. Um... So, yes, moving on. Verse 7. Sorry, I'm in my phone. So, they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So, like, take some of, the, some of these 30 gallons and take it out. So, they took it to him. Verse 9. When the head waiter tasted the water. Get this. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine... And did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. That head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him. So he's about to rave to him about how great the wine is. And I used to work at um at a wine store. We call it a liquor store. It's a liquor store. I worked at a, but they serve wine. And um, they would always ask us like what the best wine was. What was the... What was the wine that everybody was getting? So some people they would come in for different types of wine. I, well, I want cheaper wine, and then some. But more than often, people would say, "What is the best wine that you had?" And it was like, "Well, let me give these people the cheap stuff, and then let me give these." But I'm going to save the best stuff for myself. And maybe, perhaps, it could have been. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to. Let's go back to chapter or verse uh, 10. And he said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunken freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So, yes. Um, what What is that saying? And it's saying a great deal. Saying a great deal. I think more than any, so, hmm, I, I could take this a few different ways. So, basically, let's talk about what happened here, and then let's talk about the, the overarching thing, the greater thing that happened here. So, they, they're like, the water that, the water actually turned into wine we can come to understand. It, it wound up not being water. It wound up being, they took the water out, like, they filled the water up, they filled up the gallons by faith. They took the water out by faith. They drank it. And they was like, look, this wine is the best wine <laughs> that you that I've ever tasted. Usually they save the the lesser wine for later when everybody else is drunk and they don't even know the difference. They just want to drink and be merry. They don't even care how it tastes anymore. But y'all y'all have saved the best wine for last. Let me ask you this. Do you think the bridegroom knew anything of what was going on in that kitchen? No. It's it's so it's so this is Lord help me. It, it's 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 a few different things going on in this chapter or in this passage in this um in this event at this wedding. It's a few different characteristics of God happening in this time. So one thing that we can look at is let's go back up let's go back up to Mary really quickly. Um so Mary's Mary's what Mary had was faith. And so when Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her after she said, Look, they have no more wine, 
what Jesus said to her wasn't to deter her from asking again. It was to say, it was to draw the faith out of her. Now, every time we see Jesus work a miracle, every time we see Jesus do something miraculous, he is first asking for faith. He is always drawing the faith out of us. I'm not really here to preach this thing. I really do want to break this down and teach it to you. So whenever Jesus is asking, whenever Jesus is working a miracle or doing something for someone in the scriptures, you always see this thing of like, well, what do you, you always see him say this thing that should deter a person, but it's not truly to deter you. It is truly to activate the faith that is in you. Because why? Why do we know this? Well, well, moreover, well, we know this because we've seen it all throughout Scripture, but why is Jesus like this? You ever read Scripture and wonder, like, Lord, why are you being like this? <laughs> so already in chapter 2, he's already seemingly bugging out, but we find if we look in Hebrews chapter 11, it reads this. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let's go. Let's go. Let's read verse three again. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that was before his being taken up. He was pleasing to God. Verse 6. This is reading for emphasis, verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I'll read it again. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I'm not going to shortchange you. We are going to break this thing down. So as you can see, like so just uh, comparing chapters, comparing scriptures and cross cross uh, examining scriptures and things of that nature. We do all of that here. It is happening. OK, Um Yes, because his word is life and his word is true. I'm saying all these things as I'm trying to get back to John chapter 2. Did not mean for that to run. Okay. And so so what I'm trying to get at is without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so and Jesus is God. Never forget this. So what Jesus is doing in in these things, and what he was doing with, with Mary is he was activating her faith. So we'll see. We'll see throughout these throughout these chapters as we're reading John that Jesus will seem like really mean and up and upset and like, yo, what you want from me? Why why you want from me? Why you want this? It is this thing of like, yo, have faith. Like show me that you have faith. I want it's like without again, without faith it is impossible to please God. So he wants to be pleased. He wants but faith activates him. Faith activates him. Faith activated his ministry. So you see, he already just told Mary, like, look, it's not even my time yet. And she was like, all right, cool. Like, whatever you want to do. And Jesus was like, all right, bet. It's go time. Like, so Keith, in Keith, in Keith's mind, this is me. This is me. You don't have to take this home with you. Just a little tidbit, something to think about, something to chew on. This isn't scripture necessarily. But this is just in my head. I want to be clear about this. To me, this is what activated Jesus' ministry. 
He didn't do it because Mary was his mother. He didn't do it because, well, I want to drink too. He didn't do it because of that. He did it because, look, that's all I needed. That's all I needed was you to have faith. Now I can do it. And so we find in we find in, in, in the scriptures that as the disciples, Jesus and the disciples were going to different villages and things of that nature, they couldn't do he couldn't work miracles and work some of the miracles that he was working in other in other lands because they didn't have faith because of the faith that was in the land. So he would just walk past and walk through because they didn't have faith. It's like, well, I can't because y'all don't have faith. Without play, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Also, understand this: that um, they are. They are in the middle of everything. As I said, that they they were in Galilee, they were in Cana of Galilee, and there was a wedding happening. They're in the middle of this wedding, and there's all types of people from this place. Again, it's a community thing, so everyone is there. So Mary's looking at it like, look, this is this is an ample time for you to show everyone who you are. How many times... Do we as believers like go through that? Like when we're like, all right, Lord, now's a great time for you to show everybody that you the Lord, to show everybody that that I'm on the winning side and to show everybody that I should be trusting in you. But I also I'll take this, I'll I'll take this, I'll think of it as this. And this is my this might be for some people very specifically. And this is what I mean when I say that Jesus is for everyone. And we'll get into that a lot more when we when we get into Hebrews and we talk about him being a high priest and things of that nature. Um, understand that by this time, Jesus or Joseph, excuse me, has passed on. Probably around this time, Joseph, um, Jesus's quote unquote stepfather or extra father was has passed on at this time. Um so you understand the turmoil and things that Mary and Joseph were going through when Jesus was being born. Um, Jesus was not looked at as the son of God, especially not up until this point. Jesus was not looked at as the son of God. And Jesus was always looked at as Mary's illegitimate child. The only two, there was only a few people that believed that Jesus was born of God. That was Joseph after a dream. That was Mary after, of course, she got pregnant. Um, and an angel came to her even. That was um, John the Baptist's mom, you know, and, and her husband. Because John the Baptist was born. John the Baptist was born. He had two elderly parents that were beyond having kids. So Mary was like this little young girl who had a kid who never had had any type of relations and so she just has this baby born of God. And he had a cousin who was having a baby and she was well beyond the age of bearing kids. There were only a few people that believed that Jesus was actually the son of God. So can you imagine the gossip that was surrounding Mary, the gossip that was surrounding Jesus? All of these negative things that were being said about her. And so here Mary is in a sea of her friends, in a sea of people that knew her, that knew them, that knew their family, that quote unquote knew her story. And she was like, look, everyone's here. They had a want. I know who you are. I know what you do. Yo, show and prove. I know I've seen the stuff you've done around the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> look, it's time to work your quote unquote magic. And Jesus is like, it's not it's not even time for that. It's not even time for that. So I'm not here, Mary, to do your will. I'm not here to do what you want me to do. I'm here to do the will of my father. So I believe Mary in a sense Mary is dealing with that. It wasn't just about the wine. It wasn't just about the people potentially going to jail. It wasn't just about the joy or the lack of joy that they would have. It was about her in a sense. It was about her in a sense, like, look, show them that you are who you are. I've been dealing with this for 30 years without people knowing who you are and me having to bear this. Well, in her, I'm not going to say that she was bearing with shame or dealing with shame. 
because you know I know you know like at the end of the day is is who is who um God says that you are but it was like look n- let them know the truth if anybody knows who you are it is me let's go so what Jesus does he does he Jesus is in the kitchen <laughs> Jesus is in the kitchen he's in the back with the servants and he's like look they they'll know nothing of this. The only people that will know of this are, is the people that are following me. And how oftentimes does that happen? Like we see the glory of the Lord, we see what the Lord is doing. It's like, but Lord, like, come on, bro, come on, <laughs> come on. I saw you. We saw you. It's like, but you saw because of the faith that you had. You saw. You believed. So I'm I'm going to show you the inner things. I'm going to show you the deeper things. I'm going to show you the behind the scene things because y'all with me, y'all believe. But what I'm going to show them is what they might not even know that they're priv- privileged to have and being rewarded to have, and that is common grace. So this one represents a little bit more, a lot more than just joy. It represents the common grace that God is extending to each and every person in the world. They have no clue where this wine is coming from. They ran out of wine. They were out of wine. They were out of stuff. They were out of this happiness that they thought that they were getting from themselves. The bridegroom knew nothing of it. The bridegroom, like probably when the when the guest said this to him, and he's like, "Yeah, man, um, y'all the, at other weddings they usually save the poorer wine for last, so I, you know." So he probably was a wine connoisseur and probably drank wine all the time. Like I know the difference between watered down wine and and the good wine, but no. The bridegroom knew nothing of this. The bridegroom knew nothing of the miracles that Jesus had performed. The bridegroom knew nothing of um, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The, the bridegroom knew nothing of the preparations and the accommodations that Jesus had made for him. And that, again, it represents the whole world. And that is what we call common grace. The being able to wake up every morning and the being able to go, go to sleep and then wake up again and do it again and to be have to enable us to have life in our bodies and breath in our lungs, that is called common grace. You don't know what's happening. You don't know who's doing it. You just know that it's being done. And most people, they probably didn't care. They weren't like, who made this one? Where did it come from? They didn't care. They they may be speculated. They may be talked about it amongst themselves. Oh, this is great wine. And then just kept going on about it. And maybe even congratulated the bridegroom on the great wine that was being served. But that is, that is God. That is the epitome of who God is. He's like, look, I've extended this grace to everyone. I've extended a, a, a certain level of grace to everyone. But, but the ones that were following him, the, the servants, as it were, they knew what was happening. They knew who it came from. He allowed them to, to, to pull the blinders back, to pull the curtain back from what we might call the Wizard of Oz and say, okay, it, it is of you. It is from you that we live, move, and have our being." You're the reason why there's still joy at this party. You're the reason why things are still happening and why everybody's still having this quote-unquote good time. But if you would only know the, the giver of the gifts. So yeah, so we so it, it is a faith thing that's taking place. It is also a God's timing thing that is taking place, but it is also a grace thing that is taking place. The and there is also Mary also gives this blueprint of being able to ask, being able to trust, and being able to say, Not my will, but your will be done, and be a being able to surrender her will. Let's read, we almost we almost done. 
Verse 11, verse, let's read verse 10 again, see if we missed anything. And said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So that's why he did it. That's the ultimate thing for why he did it at the beginning of his son. Like, again, he was like, it's not time. But then, like, it's not like Mary jump-started his time. I don't want I don't want you to walk away thinking that, like, Mary started it because she was his mother. He's like, no, it actually was time. But it was time for Mary to, but he couldn't start it until faith was enacted. But he does that. He's like, look, so, so whenever, like, I'm not I'm not that type of person, but <laughs> I don't give these type of messages all the time. But like when it's like when you think when adversity comes your way and you think that it's time to quit, no 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 no. Now it's time for faith to be enacted. This faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Why is it important to have faith if there's nothing to have faith for? So Jesus gives you something to have faith for. And then says, okay, well, cool. Well, he's like, wait, 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 open up your faith, awaken your faith real quick so that I could do my thing. I need faith. I need you to have faith. Jesus is so heaven bent on faith that he only needs a very small amount of faith. So, you know, he was talking to the disciples. He was like, look, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and Google a mustard seed, see how small a mustard seed is. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. And I believe that they were standing by a mountain where he said it. So he could say, point to this mountain. He said, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed. And it would be so. So I, I remember talking to someone not too long ago. And they asked me, they was like, do you think that um, God doesn't do stuff because um, I don't have enough faith? I'm like, I think he's more so looking at the faith that you do have. He's not looking at the amount of faith that you don't have. I think he's only displeased by, by you not having any faith. He's like, I know that you're going down. I know, I know that people have let you down many, many times, but I'm here to, I'm not, I'm, I'm here to let you know I'm not like them. And so, yes, as we as we grow and as we get older in the faith, we should have more and more and more faith because he has proven himself time and time again. He has given us our ROI, our return on investment each and every single time so that our, our faith should be monumental, monumental by this time. So much so that... Uh, I think year three, when he's about to go to the cross, like he was telling the disciples, oh, ye of little faith. Like I've been with y'all. Hopefully your faith is still not this small. <laughs> but he's looking at the amount of faith. He's looking at, he's looking for the faith that you do have because he wants to prove himself. So, yes, um, Romans chapter let's close this out this beginning of his signs jesus did in cana of galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him after this he went down to capernaum he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there a few days jesus loved to dwell with people jesus loves to dwell with people um, the bible talks about how he tabernacled he he tabernacled in like he made, you know, like his body was a tabernacle, so he was tabernacling with men. Um, like that's so deep to understand that a tabernacle was representative of God placing His presence amongst people. God is so holy. God is so holy that um, people could could not come near Him. You had to be holy, super, super, uber duper holy to even walk in front of the veil of God's presence. And you know what I mean? And that was only for certain people. We'll get behind we'll 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 talk about the science of that very soon um when the opportunity presents itself. But understand that 
it, it is a big deal to have Jesus come in tabernacle, to have God himself come in tabernacle with us. My grandmother, who just passed last week, um, growing up, it was always a privilege to have her come up to Jersey, have her and my grandfather come up to Jersey or come and visit us. Because it, it wouldn't always be often, but it was always a privilege to have them come to certain events. If they came to certain events, that was a big deal. You know, it's like, oh, wow, they're here. That's amazing that they're, that they're with us. Imagine that magnified a billion times over because it's God coming to dwell and to be with us and to have fun with us and enjoy life with us and to give more life unto us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for what you have done in your life, in your earthly ministry, and what you are doing even now through your Holy Spirit. And um, as you sit there on the right hand of the Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you are doing and all that you continue to do. May this, um, may this um, journey and your word be edifying and sweet unto your ears, Lord God, and let it permeate throughout every ear that has heard it. I love you. I praise you. I glorify you. It is in your precious son, Jesus name. I give thanks. Amen. Next week, we will be doing the second half of chapter two. Um, yeah, it's a weighty chapter. It's a lot to get through, but, uh, this is one of my favorite passages <laughs> about Jesus and, and the type of guy that he was, the type of God that he is. It's always a twofold thing dealing with Jesus because you, you'll you get to see what type of, yes, you just get to see what type of person he is. You get to see his heart. You get to see who he is. So, yes, just stick with us, man. We, we are going to walk through this thing. Any questions you have? Let me know. Shoot them to me. Direct message me. Facebook me. Um, whatever you gotta do, just let me know. Peace, y'all. God, come down here and be that set our own game. You tell me who's the man. The Lord God.